0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, If you're worshiping online, uh, we're glad uh, you're with us. You're our largest congregation. And as Jennifer shared, uh, you can connect with us by going to our connect page and letting us uh, know who you are and how we can help you. And uh, let's pray. If you have your Bibles, uh, come with me to uh, John chapter 11 this morning. Uh, We're going to, as part of the introduction to the teaching this morning, we're going to be looking at John chapter 5 for a little bit. So put a finger in 5 and 1 in 11, you're going to be good to go. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and we pray, Lord, that you'd fill our hearts with your presence and, Lord, that we could step into who we are in Christ and experience your joy in our hearts and lives. And, Lord, that you'd help me, Lord, be able to Um, communicate the truths of this passage uh, in a way that builds us up and in a way that encourages us uh, to follow after Christ. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We come to uh, John chapter 11. It's the passage where Christ raises Lazarus from the dead. It is the climax of seven... uh, seven miracles that Jesus did to validate, to manifest the glory of God, but to uh, verify and give evidence towards the claims that that Christ has made. And we looked at each one of those seven um, references, the seventh being our our text today, but as a way to give you some background, come with me to uh, John chapter 5, and in John chapter 5, we we get the sense of of John chapter 11. We we have Jesus uh, sharing uh, what he's going to do and the promise that he has. And you're going to hear an echo of John chapter 5 and John chapter 11. And so coming back to 5 kind of helps us and prepares us to understand what Jesus is doing in in John chapter 11 in raising Lazarus from, from the dead. So take a look at John chapter 5, verse 18 with me. It says this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so in each one of these miracles, starting with the first one in John chapter 2, at that where where Jesus turned water into wine, the Jews had an increasingly negative view, hostile view to the point where they wanted to murder Jesus because he was a threat to their, say, view of how things should happen. And so each miracle that comes along increases their anger towards Jesus and increases their resolve to bring him and to execute him. And so this seventh miracle will be Jesus's in a sense, his undoing with the religious leaders of the day. Come back to 5, look at verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For the Father does that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him in all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. Verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. And so we see the unity there in the Trinitarian formula of, of our Trinitarian understanding of who God is, and that the father delegates to the son who he can give life to, and we see the unity of the father and son in purpose and, and, in, and in intent, and the son follows the lead of the Father, follows the Father's wishes. Take a look at verse 24. Truly, truly, John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Again, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who here will live. And so we understand that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, that our life, our eternal life begins at regeneration, that that life that we have and that conversion that we experience begins now. And when this, this say, tent uh, gives up the ghost, so to speak, when this tent fails us, that our life continues When we get to John chapter 11, note verse 25 here. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and as now is here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. When we get to 11, which we'll go to there now, come there with me, you'll see that uh, the Bible scholars feel that Jesus had to be very specific when he said, come out, and very specific he had to use Lazarus' name, least what would happen. All the, all the tombs and all the graves would, that would have been quite a sight, wouldn't it? All the tombs and all the graves would give up, give up their dead at that particular moment. And so Jesus promises this life, this eternal life. And what we see is a picture of the reality of that for each one of us when we come to John chapter 11. So come down with me after that introduction and look at verse 17. It says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus has been, had already been in the tomb four days. And You might be wondering, like, why did Jesus take so long to get there? Well, it was two days to get a message to him, two days to get back. But I think that a couple of the Bible scholars, uh, Bible, uh, kind of scholars Leon Morris and F.F. Bruce, they point to the reality of the Jewish beliefs of those days, and they write this. There was a Jewish belief that when anyone died, the soul of the dead person lingered in the vicinity of their body for three days. But by the fourth day, the soul had left and all was lost. And so when Jesus comes on the fourth day, the sense of the people is that, oh, it's too late. If you would have been here, and you're going to see this language both from Martha and Mary, oh, if you would have been here, that would have not happened. Oh, it's and then the people are going to be a little snarky and say, oh, you know, if he's, you know he's healed the blind, but he couldn't get here on time. God's time is perfect. God's time is providential in our lives. God's time is designed to bring forth his work in our heart, and in our, in our lives. And sometimes you don't understand God's time. Sometimes we wonder, hey, did you hear our prayer? Not only did he hear our prayer, but he's got the perfect time and the perfect way and the perfect means, because as, we, as the Apostle Paul tells us at the end of Romans, he is the only wise God. So he knows all things from the beginning to the end. He knows all permutations of all things. And he knows how to execute His plan and the best way possible to bring glory to his Father and joy and peace and hope to our hearts. And that is what he did here. He brought joy, peace, and hope to the hearts of the people at just the right time. There's no bad time when God intervenes in your life, there's no lateness, there's no tardiness. It is God himself. He ordains the moments and the times and his providences in all of our lives. Therefore, we can trust him. We can put our hope in him. And so Jesus comes. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, about a mile and three quarters. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. And so Bethany was close to Jerusalem, so the people came just like we do. We go to funeral home, or someone that has passed away, we go to their home, we go to console them. When we look at the report that we're going to look at, at Martha, we're going to see Jesus work with Martha's heart to bring her to a place where she could fully embrace what Jesus wanted to do. And in that place that we find Martha, we're going to find, in some sense, the application for our lives as we look at Martha's life. Let me read the text, and then we'll come back and point those things out. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Why did she remain seated in the house? But well, we know from her character, her temperament, you know, that there were guests there. So Mary had to be busy about herself, you know. And Martha goes out to meet Jesus. And what we see in Martha's engagement or conversation with Jesus is we see faith. Martha's going to express faith. She's going to express faith in what God has done in the past, what Jesus has done in the past. And she's going to express faith and what God's going to do in the future. But the thing that she leaves out is, what about, the, what about today? What about, what about that middle space, that, that space that we live between the promises? In other words, the promises of the past and the promises for the future. But what we're going to see Jesus do, he's going to say to Martha, in a sense, he said, you need to appropriate those promises today so that you can live in faith, you can live in joy, you can live in hope. Come back to the text with me, verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, and it's a statement of faith, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would, have not, would, would not have died. And when you consider the Jewish mindset of the day, that the soul hovered around for three days, the fourth day, all is lost. And Martha says, oh, if you would have made it. Come back to the text. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, oh, thank you, Jesus, for comforting my heart. I know the past. I know what you've done. And I believe in the future. I believe in that blessed hope. Look at the text. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, Oh, Sister Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And some Bible scholars, they they look at that as two declarative sentences. I am the resurrection and I am the life. I am the one that's going to defeat death and I am the one that gives life. And when you harmonize the rest of the gospel of John, you know that that's thematically John chapter 5 come to give life. John chapter 14 verse 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so Jesus comes to give us eternal life. That eternal life starts at regeneration. And as we as we lose this tent it continues into eternity. That's why the Apostle Paul can say absent from the body is what? Is present, is present with the Lord. And so when someone dies in Christ, nothing's lost. Sure, they lose the immortal body. Sure, we lose the, our, our fellowship and our, and our time with them now. But nothing is lost because he is the resurrection and he is the life. Back to the text with me. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's an echo from five. And he asked Martha, do you believe in this? Now we'll save that, this other verse for a moment. Because Martha's statement of faith is absolutely gold. It's profound. When we look at Jesus' statements to her, what Jesus does with Martha is he shifts the focus of her eyes, shifts the focus off of the past and even off of the future, and shifts her focus onto that middle space, the place where we struggle. Oh, Lord, I believe the Bible. I believe your promises. But where we struggle is, Lord, will you do that today in my life? Lord, will you, will you come and rescue me? Will you come and give me your peace? Will you come and give me my joy? And so Jesus wants Martha to experience all that she has in Christ. And he says to her this, shifts the focus and says to Martha, I am, present tense, the resurrection and the life. Secondly, he shifts Martha's fear onto the promise. Jesus says to Martha, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in me, though he die, you know, every one of us in this room is going to die. That's our ticket out. Every single one of us gonna gonna to, going to die in this room, and I can hear some some of you CCers, you Calvary Chapters, ooh ooh Conway, woo, 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 What about the rapture? And I said, all right. Wouldn't it be cool to go through the go through the ceiling in the room, and see all these bodies being caught up to meet him in the air? But barring that, my friends every one of us will face the fact that our mortal bodies will be put in a casket and put in the ground. And Jesus says, don't forget the promise to Martha that though you die, though he died, yet he shall live. Last one, look at Martha's faith. Look at verse 27. Jesus asks her, do you believe this? Martha's faith is on a person, not a doctrine, not the temple, but on a person. And that person is who? That person is Jesus. Look at Martha's confession of faith. This is one of the most profound statements of faith in all the New Testament. She echoes Andrew. She echoes his statement of faith. She echoes Nathaniel's statement of faith. She echoes Moses' and all the prophets' statement of faith. In one sentence, Martha is extraordinary in her depth and understanding of who Jesus is. If you're a firstborn, she could be your patron saint. The depth of theology that she has. The understanding of who she's talking to. Take a look at it. Martha confesses Jesus is the Christ. What is she confessing? She's confessing that he's the coming Messiah. He's the one that was promised. Andrew does that in chapter 1, verse 41. She's in good company. Secondly, she says, you're the son of God, that you are God. Nathaniel does that in chapter 1, verse 49. She's in amazing insight and then she says this that you are the one that was promised speaking of Moses and all the Old Testament prophets that said the one and only one is coming to deliver his people and so Martha has this we we criticize her a little bit we had fun with her last week didn't we had fun with, poking fun at her attentiveness to detail. But you know, her heart was solid in her understanding of who Jesus Christ, who stood before her. The second uh, section of the narrative that before Jesus uh, raises Lazarus from the dead is all about heart. It's all about Connecting with people on a deep... It's all about identifying with people who are mourning. It's all about, I would say, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, that we have a high priest. He understands us. He's experienced all things that we can, so we can trust him, we can, we can run into his arms because he understands our frame come to the text with me when he, when she when she had said this she went and called her sister Martha she said Martha can you step away from the guest when she sa- had said this she went and called her sister saying in private the teacher is here and I I don't want you to miss the next phrase Sometimes we read through the Bible and we just miss it. Teacher's here, and He's calling you. We see in this pericope or this paragraph what we see is the is the humanity of Jesus. We're going to see His deity in a minute, but what we see is the humanity of Him, of relating to people that are broken in heart, We're going to see how he enters into the pain of the people that are there. Come back to the text with me. He says in verse 29, John says, And when she had heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her with Mary in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. Uh, They followed her, and, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, the same thing Martha said. Oh, my Lord, my Lord. And every time we meet Mary and John, She's there at that place of adoration. She's there at that place of worship. When we get to John chapter 12, it's simply the affection and love that Mary has for Jesus. It's so, it's astounding. It moves. And we see her again here at Jesus' feet saying to him, Lord, same as Martha, if you had, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus looks around and he sees the people weeping and mourning and and the brokenness of their heart. And Jesus' response to that is that he he enters into their pain just like he enters into our pain. And we see the Shortest, as we know, the shortest verse in the Bible, we see Jesus' response to other people's brokenness and pain, and the text says what? Jesus wept. But there's a little bit more to it. When we see the other people weeping, it is a mourning, it is a wailing, it is a crying. But when Jesus weeps, when Jesus wept, it's in your notes. I'll give you the linkage to the Greek words. The language that describes Jesus weeping is the language that describes a snorting horse and the convulsions that are happening in his inner man because he has been so touched by the pain and brokenness of people around him. And the reality of the pain, 1 Corinthians 15, the reality of that pain that death brings. And Jesus convulses from his inner man, snorting like a hoss, we- weeping in convulsions. And the people around him say this, oh, see how he loved Lazarus. And like every religious person they get snarky. They can't let a moment go by without having a critical spirit about them. They reply also in verse 37, but some of them says some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man? Also, he could have kept him from dying. You know, don't be like that. You go into a, a funeral home or you're at a bedside and let Romans twelve fifteen be your guide. Let Jesus be your model, model. And you weep with those who weep. You enter into their pain. That's my great high priest. That's my pastor. That's what he looks like. That's my God. That's my Lord. That's the Son of God. That's my Messiah. Who's your Jesus? That's mine. The one that enters my world when I weep, he weeps with me. The next section of the text is is where the power happens. Jesus comes and does what only God can do. Take a look at the text with me in verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. It's a repetition of that same inner convulsion and that same snorting like a horse. It even sounds offensive when you say the words. Oh, it's Jesus, and he's snorting, and he's got... Stuff. Boogers, you know. (laughs) Crying. If you've ever wept, you know what I'm saying. You know, it's a mess. Oh, he's a mess. But not without hope. Not without power. Not without purpose. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. And a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, always being helpful to details, always being on top of things. Martha, the sister, like Jesus didn't know this. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Such an understatement there. For he has been dead four days. Notice Jesus' response. No criticism. There's no setting her straight. He, he simply said, take away the stone. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. And I believe that in Martha's heart, just like we are some days. Would he? Could he? I believe. But would he really? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, echoing John chapter 5 again. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus was secure in his relationship with his father. I, I knew that, past tense, he knew his father had already answered the prayer. He says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me, for the benefit. And when he had said these things, he cried out out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. There's no theatrics. It's just the power of God. There's no smoke. There's no light show. There's just a prayer. There's just a call out. Lazarus, just you, the rest of you, hold still. I'll come back for you, I promise. I've gone to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't tell you so. Then Lazarus, look at the text. Verse 43, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. In closing this morning, take note of Martha. She lived in that middle space. Lord, I know your promises. I know the past. I know the future, but. And Jesus enters her world and reminds her that he's the one, the Son of God, the Messiah. Of note here is how God operates. Jesus told them to remove the stone. Could Jesus have removed the stone? At Jesus' resurrection, stone wasn't a problem, was it? Why does he say to them, move the stone? Could, when we look at Jesus' resurrection, John 20, Jesus comes out, no bindings, no grave cloths over him. Why does Jesus say, unbind him? Why? For the same reason, we want to pray for one another. Because God invites us to be part of working miracles in each other's heart. God invites us to partner with him in taking off each other's grave clothes. So that we can walk in Christ, in hope, in power, in peace, and in joy. Jennifer shared that we're going to relaunch making an opportunity for people to receive prayer on Sunday morning. We've done it hundreds, thousands of times over the last 35 years. And when you have a need in your life, when you're in a place where you're in that middle place, would he, could he, step into having awareness of his presence right now? Because of the answer to your questions. Yes, he will. Yes, he wants to. And he wants to use you and I to be able to bless someone with a word of encouragement. Bless someone with a healing prayer. Bless someone by praying over them and pronouncing in the name of Jesus, your sin is forgiven. In the name of Jesus, be set free. In the name of Jesus, walk in joy. In the name of Jesus, receive peace in your heart. Sure, the climax of this, the climax of the sign miracles, is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead? Yes, but in the midst of that he invites you and i to participate in his great kingdom work as he continues to do his works today for it says in hebrews 13:8 that jesus say it with me if you know it jesus christ is the same yesterday today and forever and he is present in your life and in this place today amen Let's prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's table.